Welcome to our latest installment of On the Ropes Enforcement Risk Roundtable, a Ropes and Gray podcast series focused on global anti-corruption and international risk. I'm Zachary Bernstein, a litigation and enforcement associate based in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm joined today by Amanda Rod, a co-chair of the firm's Global Anti-Corruption and International Risk Practice and our Ropes and Gray Insights Lab, an innovative full-service legal consulting group and the industry's first ever analytics and behavioral science offering. We are thrilled to have two guests with us today to discuss the current anti-corruption and local enforcement landscape in Sweden. Anna Romberg is the Executive Vice President of Legal, Compliance, and Governance at Gedinje, a leading medical technology company. She is also the co-founder of the Nordic Business Ethics Initiative, a professional network stretching across Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Sweden for the promotion of responsible corporate conduct, business integrity, and responsible leadership. Hayat Ibrahim is the Secretary General of the Swedish Anti-Corruption Institute, a nearly century-old organization for the promotion of ethical decision-making in the Swedish business community. Before that, Hayat practiced for nearly five years at Vignet, Sweden's premier law firm. Thank you both so much for joining us today. To start off, Amanda, could you give us a little bit of background on what we'll be discussing today? Thanks, Zach, and happy to dive in. So Sweden is regularly considered among the most transparent and the least corrupt nations in the world. The government's transparency and accountability mechanisms have been highly regarded as the impartiality of its judges and judicial system also have been. The country's commitment to supporting the media combined with legal protections for freedom of speech uh, has also enabled journalists and citizens to hold politicians and corporations alike accountable. But in the last several years, we've seen a marked increase in local enforcement efforts to combat corruption in the Swedish telecommunications and finance industries. And some of these enforcement activities have highlighted what may be blind spots in some of Sweden's legal anti-corruption framework and local expectations regarding what corporate compliance looks like. So in our conversation today, we're gonna try to unpack some of the challenges that might be facing Swedish businesses in the anti-corruption and international risk space, and also try to look at why local enforcement actions have started to increase in Sweden in recent years. Why don't we start by asking you both, uh, Anna and Hayat, for your high-level impressions on what this increase in enforcement activity represents? Yes, so thank you, first of all, um, Sekhar and Amanda, for, for having me here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great pleasure to be discussing these topics with you, so, so I'm really honored to be here together with Hayat. And... Um, so I would say uh, that um, the enforcement activity is picking up. Uh, it's a reactive approach still. I think the media has been pretty active in visualizing, you know, unethical and possibly even illegal conduct by Swedish corporations. And then the regulator has sort of been forced to act. And I think this all... If we go back a couple of years uh, to a company that's uh, close to me, uh, Telia, I worked for Telia at Telia for almost, yeah, for nine years. I think that was really a scandal that was spurred by investigative journalists. And then, you know, the regulator more or less was forced to get involved. I think still it's quite a reactive approach, but I'm super happy and, and to hear Hayat your impressions on this as well. 
Thank you, Anna. And thank you also for having me here today. And as mentioned, we have over the recent years seen a slight increase, I would say slight when it comes to the enforcement activity here in Sweden to combat corruption in corporate environment. Although we've seen the same cases have resulted in settlements and you know billion dollar penalties and fines in other jurisdictions such as the US, we have not had the same results here in Sweden in terms of convictions or corporate fines. And I think that it is uh, a bit like Anna said, it's a very much still a reactive approach to these issues here in Sweden. But at the same time, I think there was uh, and is still a lot of disappointment when it comes to the outcome of these uh, enforcement activities that we've seen. But nevertheless, I think it is, has sparked a discussion in Sweden and awareness around foreign bribery and corruption. And this is something that will be increasing, I think, in recent times. Yeah, I think one, one really concrete example is Celia uh, that ended up you know, paying a billion dollar to the US and the Dutch authorities. Um, and then basically, if you look at it from a strictly legal Swedish perspective, nothing illegal happened. And, um, and, and that's, of course, uh, quite interesting then, considering that the com- company has admitted to wrongdoing in other jurisdictions. And I think that's when it becomes so dangerous to evaluate these kinds of acts in the light of whether somebody is convicted or not. And, and there, uh, the, and Hayat, you can p- please fill in, but I think the sort of really short explanation is that um, the president's daughter in Uzbekistan that Celia paid, you know, 330 million US dollars to, uh, she uh, was the daughter of a dictator, but in Sweden, uh, according to the Swedish law that was in force at that time, she was not a bribable person uh, because she didn't hold a position in public office. So, so that sort of the whole case fell apart. And in Sweden, you also have to convict individuals before you go to the company. And what's also interesting in the Telia enforcement is that there, there was money earmarked for, um, for Sweden if there would have been some convictions in Sweden. So, so I think the Swedish taxpayers could have gotten you know, an amount of, of this big global settlement. But obviously then that sort of piece of the pie didn't go to Sweden, but, but then uh, the Dutch and US authorities uh, got that instead. Yeah, uh, totally agree with Anna. There was a huge disappointment. Um, and really when it comes to just, you know, the trust in the Swedish enforcement uh, um, activities and, and whether um, the Swedish legislation, you know, is effective, does it work? Is there something wrong with our legislation? Is there something we need to change? And we do have two recent um, criminal provisions, the newest ones, which are negligent financing of bribery, which would um, could have been applicable in this case, but it, it wasn't tried against this new provision and also the trading influence. And we don't even have any case law when it comes to these two provisions. And that is also something that many people have expressed disappointment with. You know, we have these new um, provisions that they've said were uh, implemented um, due to the, the criticism by the international community, but yet, you know, they haven't been used. And when will that happen? So we're still waiting. And I think that, you know, uh, we need to see enforcement and, you know, see this provision and have case law understand, you know, um, what could and what should Swedish corporations expect? 
in Sweden, companies are expected to self-regulate and to behave. Uh, but then when, when sort of um, it, there is a real situation, it's really unclear what kind of benefit do you get from your compliance ethics and compliance program. And, and for example, in the US context, it is pretty clear nowadays with the, you know, if you detect wrongdoing and, and you decide to self-report, you actually can get a pretty clear benefit from that. And even if I know some would argue it's not that predictable all the time, but still, you know, as a company, you can trust that if you have an ethics and compliance program that works, part of that is detecting misconduct and there is a real benefit of going in and revealing that to the authorities. Um, but in, um, in, in a Swedish context, um, you know, that, that's very unpredictable. And, and we are not really encouraged to self-report. I mean, there is not a concept as that. Yeah, if we, if we look at the Swedish legislation, I mean, if we look at the, um, the chapter regarding corporate fines, it says that um, if you uh, made a voluntary disclosure, um, the corporate fine could be reduced, but that is not, not something we've seen or be, having been applied in an anti-bribery and corruption context. Also, when it comes to if you can demonstrate that you have a compliance program in place that is effective or that you have taken action to mitigate um, the consequences, you could also uh, receive a reduced fine. But I mean, this is something that is regulated and stipulated, but it's not something that um, has been communicated or that's been exercised so that there is a clear uh, precedence here that people can follow and also refer to. What kinds of things are you hearing professionals in the Swedish uh, anti-corruption and compliance space talking about as particular things that need to be addressed? Well, first and foremost, I think that um, there is a great awareness today when it comes to just you know the understanding of bribery and corruption for quite some time and still I would say in some rooms uh, the picture in Sweden is that we don't really have uh, bribery and corruption but what these cases have shown is that the, um, we have Swedish corporations that many have previously seen as you know at the forefront of these types of issues they've had um, large compliance departments uh, they've been championing that you know we're an ethical company in many ways so I think that you know seeing the uh, the enforcement that they've been subject to has really sparked a, co a conversation also in terms of, uh, you know, what are the risks of operating in high risk jurisdictions as a Swedish company? Because previously, I think many Swedish companies were very comfortable, um, of course, uh, looking at the little enforcement activity that we've seen previously. So I think now, you know, uh, many people are becoming more aware of that there is also international enforcement and, and this has really, you know, um, resulted in Swedish corporations actually taking effort and, and asking themselves questions like, where are we here? You know, do we have preventive measures in place? Are they effective? And, you know, what are the risks? And is it something that we are um, in a good position to manage or not? And that's really interesting. Do you think that it's, um, you know, the slight increase that you mentioned in local enforcement, or do you think it's the international enforcement of Swedish companies that is really starting to drive some of the increased awareness that you're seeing or, or some co combination thereof? 
I would say still it's international enforcement. Um, we had a recent uh, increase in the Swedish corporate fine in the 2020, and uh, it was an increase of 5,000%, but still um, very low. The highest uh, fine that could be um, subject to is uh, 500 Swedish million kroners, which is uh, very low compared to the um, billion dollar fines that we've seen internationally. So still, I would say that these are the five that are um, driving the compliance work here in Sweden uh, to a very large extent, actually. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you, Hyatt, there. I think from a self-image perspective, you know, thinking that in Sweden we are ethical, we are transparent, that we have a high sense of integrity, we have a great culture, and then suddenly we have these companies subject to billion-dollar fines and, you know, up, up in the top top 10 list of the FCPA enforcement um, actions and, and so on. And, and I think, uh, you know, quite many wondered how, what's, what's wrong, you know, with Nordic companies. And then we take the banks as well. And I think it's, it's, it's a serious discussion that we need to have, you know, how can these things happen? Because locally, you know, we do have transparent media and a sense of business integrity that we apply when we, you know, file our tax filings and so on. But then when doing business abroad, things go terribly sour. So, so how can that be? And I think that's super important to understand that culture and, and ethical business behavior is nothing that's common sense and that you just can export because people are good people, right? It's, it's really the context that you have to understand and how difficult it is to do business in complex markets. And I think here as well, uh, you know, what Hyatt, you were saying on the disappointment in the local enforcement action also is because previously the the anti-corruption law, now it's been updated, I think, uh, uh, due to some learnings from the Telia case. But, But, you know, I think the law wasn't even really bent towards being effective in terms of combating international corruption. And, and Sweden is still being you know, criticized by the OECD, for example, that we're not doing enough uh, in this regard. So, so I think it's, it's good to have these discussions and, and really reflect critically upon, you know, how, have these, how, yeah, how could these things happen and, and what should we really do to prevent it? It's not only a corporate effort, but it's also, you know, efforts needed from the regulatory side as well. And what's your sense on how kind of companies are tackling these challenges, right? I mean, I, I, all of us that work in this space recognize how very difficult it is to manage global risk issues, right? Just because it is, as you say, very tough to operate in challenging markets and it's just so far reaching. What are the discussions you're hearing and, and kind of what's the proactive steps that you're starting to see organizations take and how they try to tackle this? I think, you know, if you just uh, rewind five years or so in many Swedish uh, boardrooms, you know, anti-bribery and corruption was not discussed or money laundering uh, at all, um, in fact. So I think now what we've seen with these recent scandals and the reporting around this is this something that is very on top of mind now when it comes to several boards and uh, looking at the compliance departments, um, they are growing 
rapidly in many large corporations, we see that um, resources are being dedicated to this. Um, you can also look at the Swedish law firms, the commercial law firms that have a uh, new departments that are specialized in, in bribery and corruption and compliance and investigation. So I think this kind of reflects, um, you know, the approach or at least the awareness that some of these uh, larger companies are demonstrating. However, if we look at the small and medium-sized companies here in Sweden, um, many of them are not um, really having this issue on top of their mind, although being active in, in high-risk markets. Yeah, and I think we, we should keep in mind that um, in Sweden, there is not really any guidance on what effective compliance looks like. So we are all looking towards the DOJ guidance and, and you know, international best practice and so on. So, so that's, uh, that's really what's setting the tone uh, here as well. And do you feel like there's an acceptance now that these risks actually apply, even though you're not seeing the local enforcement? I mean, it, it, you know, you mentioned looking to the DOJ guidance, for example. Uh, does it really feel to you like it's only the bigger companies that have managed to get this at the top of their priority list? No, I, I, I do think, you know, there is an awareness also in smaller and medium-sized companies because it also comes from... Um, from, for example, financiers, if you want to get a loan, banks, uh, creditors are putting more strict requirements, asking companies for their compliance programs and so on. Uh, I think the, the big challenge is really how much work is required. And I think we are getting to a place where where boards, as Hyatt was saying, boards are understanding that you have to put money where your mouth is, you have to dedicate resources to this. And that is, of course, a challenge in smaller companies. But uh, And also, I think you have to be realistic with that it's long-term work. Uh, there is always a legacy in each and every company as well, that you have done things in a certain way and you have to unwind and you have to put new practices in place. And it takes time. And that sort of all builds the culture. So, so I think you need to be realistic as well in terms of, of, you know, not only dedicating resources, but then realizing that it will take time and then it will require some type of change. And change is usually quite uncomfortable as well. So you have to equip boards and management with that. OK, you know, if we take ethics and compliance seriously, it will be uncomfortable. Uh, we have to challenge ourselves. We have to challenge our decisions. Yeah, I agree with Anna that there is a will in, in many small and medium-sized companies, but my understanding is that although there is a will, um, often they don't have the resources or are willing to um, do the work. So uh, from our side at the Swedish Anti-Corruption Institute, this is a group that we um, have started prioritizing in a larger extent now to be able to you know, support them with um, guidance material or discussion materials or anything really that could um, help them take the steps in implementing, of course, a proportional um, and risk-based uh, preventive measures. What would you say are your top tips or, or, in, or, in your opinion, the most important things that companies trying to devise and hold on to uh, effective compliance programs uh, should be considering uh, when undertaking that? 
Well, I would say just to keep continuing um, the work and, and making sure uh, that there is also monitoring in place to make sh making sure that it's effective. I think DOJ has three brilliant questions, right? Is it, uh, you know, well designed? Is it applied in good faith? That, does it work? So just to keep up uh, that work. Um, if you're a smaller company, definitely to try to leverage the resources that you have to put in place the basics of, of compliance. I hope it's not wishful thinking, but I do think the local enforcement will pick up. The regulation will improve. These scandals that we've seen in Sweden are so big on a global scale that I think it would be an embarrassment for, from a Swedish perspective, if we wouldn't see you know, local enforcement and local regulation really sort of... Uh, being part part of the solution here, not only relying on the international regulators to intervene. Yes, um, I think, you know, from the enforcement perspective, I think that we will um, hopefully have a case law uh, when it comes to these two new offenses. And also, I think for corporations operating in Sweden, something that they should keep in mind is also to understand um, the Swedish culture uh, in the Swedish organizations. You know, um, Sweden is a bit different when it comes to, uh, for example, speaking up or um, many people also don't want to uh, um, engage in or interfere in other people's business or kind of everybody keeps a bit to themselves. So I think it's important to also understand this concept when implementing an adequate and, and, and a compliance program that works in practice. So I think that is also important when it comes to the speak up culture um, and ensuring that here in Sweden. Anna, Hyatt, and Amanda, that was a great discussion. Thank you all for joining me today and sharing your insights. And thank you to our listeners. For more information on the topics we discussed, as well as other helpful links and materials, please visit our Enforcement Express website at www.ropesgray.com slash Enforcement Express and our Ropes and Gray Insight Lab website at www.ropesgray.com slash RG Insights Lab. If you have any feedback or suggestions for jurisdictions or specific topics you would like us to cover, please contact us at express at ropesgray.com or feel free to reach out to any of us directly. You can also subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to your podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.